what a absolute blessing it is to be able to just gather together, even in this time of, of virtual church, of church everywhere, uh, for us to meet like this and just sense God's presence with us. I don't know about you, but here in this room, we're here in the auditorium filming this right now, and uh, I really felt a deep move of the Spirit of God as we were praying for chains to break. Uh, for God's presence to pour out, for the church to awaken, for the city to awaken. And that is so much what our heart is. And actually so much of what I want to preach about and talk about with us today. Uh, We're continuing our our series in Acts that's called An Unfinished Story. And we're calling it that because it is an unfinished story. That God is still at work today writing this current chapter of the Great Commission. Writing the current chapter of the church rising up to walk with people in their hour of need to bring the gospel to those that need it the most. That's the reason why we're a part of the story that began in Acts that is still outworking through the church today. And we, as the church in Hong Kong, both the Vine and the many other churches represented in the city, we get the incredible, profound privilege of writing the chapter for this generation. And part of that is going to be because the Spirit is upon us and in us. And that's what I want to turn our attention to today as we continue our series. Um, I want to turn to that most famous passage in all of Acts, perhaps, uh, Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit falls on the church. Um, And I want to open up this passage for us today in perhaps a different way than what you've experienced before. And I want to actually dig into the roots of this story. And those roots are found in the Old Testament. Uh, And those roots provide so much light for us to understand both what happened in that moment in the first century as the Spirit poured out, but perhaps more importantly, for us to be able to understand what God wants to do in this moment. Because I I don't know about you, but we need a fresh Pentecost. We need a fresh move of God's Spirit in this hour. Uh, And I believe as we go through the Scripture together today, um, you'll get a sense of what that sort of Spirit is like and what we should be praying for, for our city in this hour. Uh, I'm I'm really excited about this. Let's open it straight up. Acts 2, I'm going to start in verse 1. We're going to read a bunch of the verses. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and lifted the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem some God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment or confusion. Because each one of them heard them speaking in their own language. Utterly amazed, they asked one another, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygera and Phalibia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, basically everybody that they could basically summarize in that passage. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own languages, amazed and confused. They asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them. Ah, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. 
fellow Jews and all of those who live in Jerusalem. Let me actually explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only nine in the morning. It's only nine in the morning. I remember when I first read this passage, uh, I was a new Christian. I was 19 years old. I was at university. And, and, and this became one of my favorite passages, uh, not because of the spirit pouring out, that's great, <laughs> but because of that final phrase. Peter is standing up in front of the people who all thought the disciples were drunk because they were babbling aloud to everybody uh, in their own languages. And he says, they're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. And I was, I was 19 at university. And I remember reading that thinking to myself, there are lots of people at university that I know right now who are very likely to still be drunk at nine in the morning. So I don't know what it was like in the first century, but in our modern day at university, that was quite a common thing. Uh, I hope right now that is not a common thing. I, I hope right now you're sober and you're focused on this and we get to open the word of God together. There's so much in this story uh, that is so relevant for what the spirit wants to do in and amongst us. And in the same way that Peter stood up before the crowd and said, let me explain this to you. Uh, I wanna just humbly over the next number of minutes, try to explain to you what I think the spirit wants to do in our church here in Hong Kong in 2022. To understand the power of this passage, we have to understand its Old Testament roots. And, and Luke invites us into that understanding right in the first verse. Let me read this to you again in Acts 2 verse 1. He says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. He mentions two Old Testament things. The first is Pentecost. Pentecost was the festival of celebration of the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. And that took place always 50 days after the celebration of Passover. Passover being that moment when God released Israel from their slavery of Egypt. And then 50 days later, they gathered around Mount Sinai. And as they gathered around Mount Sinai, Moses went up into the cloud of God's fire and God spoke and gave him the law, which he then brought down to the people. And the law was this really important thing. The law wasn't a bunch of rules and obligations and boundaries that was supposed to put a heavy yoke on the people. The law was God's way of saying, hey, you are now free. I've released you from slavery. Now live free. And this is how you are to live free amongst you. You are to love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you are to love one another. And you are to love your neighbors. And this is the way to do it. Follow this and you will live and you will flourish. Now, in the moment, there is this incredible thing that takes place that has a lot to say to the Acts 2 experience. I want to just jump to Exodus 19, where that story of the giving of the law at Mount Sinai takes place. I just want to read you a few quick verses here to help connect in to what happens in Acts 2. This is uh, Exodus 19, starting in verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. Remember that? The Lord has descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke, notice this, and the voice of God answered him. The, the Hebrew word for the voice of God here is the word kolot, K-O-L-O-T. And, and that word is actually also the same word that's mentioned right at the start of this passage in verse 16 when it talks about the thunder and the lightning. 
So this word, uh, which is translated a loud voice, uh, can also be translated or used to represent thunder. And so what the, what the writer here is trying to get across is that God spoke on that day. When the law went out, God spoke, and his voice was like thunder. It was this loud voice that everyone could hear. In, in fact, uh, rabbis uh, writing in the Talmud and teaching through the Talmud many years later, still up to this day, they teach something very important about this moment. They say in the thunder of God's voice, God spoke in 70 languages at once. 70 being the idea of perfection, being the idea of all of the languages of the earth. And so Jewish people understand that at Pentecost, there was this outworking of God's voice in multiple languages so people could understand the law. So as the disciples are gathered there in the upper room in Acts chapter 2, celebrating the Passover, they would have been celebrating that kind of idea, that God has the ability to speak to all people. Let's go back to Acts 2 then and look at the second Old Testament reference, just from that first verse. When the day of Pentecost came, they were, here it is, all together in one place. Now on the surface, that just sounds like Luke has explained that, hey, everybody is gathered together in the upper room, all 120 of them. Well, actually, it means more than that. Luke uses a specific Greek phrase, all together in one place, which is the exact phrase that's only found in one other place in the Old Testament, the Greek version of the Old Testament. The Greek version of the Old Testament was in circulation at the time of this moment in Acts chapter 2. And the place where that phrase is found in the only other place in the Bible is in the story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. I want to take us to that story now because that has something to say to us about Acts chapter 2. This is Genesis 11, verses 1. By the way, I, I love this in Scripture. I hope you're loving this too. I love just digging into the Bible, connecting things, helping us to see the bigger picture. And if you stick with me, I think you're going to see the big picture here. Genesis 11, verse 1. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men or people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar, and there they were all together in one place. There it is, the same phrase, all together in one place. So, so when Luke writes this about the disciples in Acts chapter 2, he's trying to connect that moment back to here to the Tower of Babel. Now, we don't have time to read the whole of Genesis 11 right now. Let me summarize basically the story. It might be familiar to many of you. Uh, up until this point in humanity's growth and humanity's development, there was just one language, one tongue. And here, the God's people had gathered all together in one place, but they were about to do two things that were in rebellion to God's word. This is not a proud moment for humanity. This is a moment where they continue to rebel in their sin against all that God has done. And they do two things to do that. The first is that they decide to build a tower. They want to build this massive construct to be able to reach into the heavens. Why? Because they believe if they could get into the heavens, they would become God. See, humanity at this point wasn't satisfied with just being the image of God. They wanted to be God themselves. They wanted to be in the heavens so they could take the power of heaven and have dominion over themselves. 
Fascinating. This is the same temptation, the same sin that actually led Adam and Eve into the original sin. If you remember in the garden in Genesis 3, that temptation from the enemy was to take the fruit so that they could become God, so that they could be God themselves. That same temptation is now happening all over again as they desire to build this tower. And they do this in a false sense of unity. Let's all gather together in one place. Let's do this now so that we can see God and actually become like God. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. It's found in verse 4 of Genesis chapter 11. Let me read this to us. Then they said this, Come, let us build ourselves a city, there it is, with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves, now notice this, and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. The primary thing that God spoke over humanity in its creation in Genesis 1 and 2 was that they were to be fruitful, to be blessed, and to go out and to be scattered over all the earth, subduing the earth, flourishing it, being God's helper to help to flourish all of creation and bring it into its utmost shalom. That was God's command for humanity in Genesis 1 and 2, one of the primary things he had created humanity for. And now, here in Genesis 11, God's people are not just rebelling against God because they want to be God. They're rebelling against God's demanded and created destiny for humanity, which is to go into the world, subdue it, and to flourish it and bring it into shalom. They're standing against the very cool that God had given humanity right there at the start. And they say, no, we're going to stay here all in one place, build a tower so that we are not scattered over the earth, so that we're not spread out all over the place, defying the very thing that God wanted. See, see, this whole Babel narrative is basically humanity fighting against God, trying to say we can do it ourselves, we don't need Him, all we need is to be Him, we can dominion ourselves, and we're going to stand against the very cooling that is upon us in our creation and not spread out, but stay in this sense of unity together. I want you to see why this is such an affront to God. You see, God wanted a free and diverse people scattered across all the earth, kind of taking his values and his image, representing his values and his image. Babel wanted a unified, homogenized group of people in one place, representing their own values and their own image. So you can see the depth of how this is rebelling against the very thing that God wants. And because of this, God in Genesis 11 comes down. I love when it says that he comes down. They're building this big high tower, but he comes down to them and he confuses their speech. He does this because he knows that with one tongue, they will be able to work together in this false sense of unity and try to build this tower. So he confuses their tongue, their language into multiple languages so they wouldn't be able to work in cohesion together. Confusion sits at the center of the Babel story. In fact, Babel comes from the Hebrew word for confusion. It's also the same word in English that we get for Babel. 
if you ever heard anyone say, I couldn't understand a word they said, it was like they were babbling. Well, that comes from this same story. And so God comes and he judges them, curses them by giving them these multiple languages. But here's the fascinating thing. In that, God actually is blessing them because he's actually moving them back into the very thing that he'd always called humanity to. And that was to scatter around the earth and to bring that diversity to see the world flourish. And so in bringing that confusion to language, God stops the building of the tower, but he also facilitates his very destiny for humanity, spreading them out over all the earth. Now, both that Pentecost context and the Babel context is exactly what we need to have in our mind as we come back to our story in Acts chapter 2. Let me now connect some of these dots for you and show you this in the scripture. I think this will blow your mind. Genesis, uh, sorry, Acts 2 verse 1 onwards. Let me read this to us again. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. It's the same concept of the thunder that took place on the top of Mount Sinai. Came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were all sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. Again, connection to Sinai, the idea of the fire falling on God's people uh, that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages. All of them. There it is again. They'd all gathered around the base of Mount Sinai, all of them to hear the word. Here they are, all of them together again, and they speak in other languages where Babel had confused language. Here now, they're speaking in these multiple different languages. Let's carry on. Verse 5. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Notice this. Every nation under heaven. This is the outworking of that Babel moment where they were scattered around the world. Well, here in Acts 2, that scattering is being brought back together as all the nations of the earth are, in, um, uh, are there. Verse 6, when they heard this sound, uh, a crowd came together in confusion. There's that idea of confusion linked back to Babel uh, because each one heard them speaking in their own language. All right, here it is, speaking in their own language. What's happening in Acts chapter 2 is the significant outworking of what took place in Exodus 19 with the original Sinai moment and in Genesis 11 with Babel. In fact, this is the undoing of Babel. This is God stepping into human history and reversing all that he had done in that Babel moment. For in Babel, where humanity rebelled against him, wanted to become him, wanted to, to not live the destiny that he had called them to, God comes down and confuses their language so that they weren't able to be able to be working together. Now in Acts chapter 2, as God decides to start the church, how does he birth that church? He pours out his spirit so those that were, were once opposed to one another are now able to come back together again. What God is doing is undoing that curse of Genesis 11 and restating this for the church. Basically, at the birth of the church, he's drawing a line in the sand and saying this is what the church is going to be about. The church is going to be a place where the gospel, my word, is going to be now be able to be understood by people from every language, every culture, every background, every diverse person is going to be able to hear the gospel in their own language. The purpose of the church is to take the word of God and to bring it into the cultures of this world with the hope of Jesus. 
and, and here's the fascinating thing. In Sinai, what you see in that story is a voice of God in all of those 70 languages going out and speaking God's law to people. What we have now in this moment is God writing his law on human hearts. No longer tablets of stone, but now human hearts. And God once again speaks his voice over all people, but it's different this time. In Acts chapter 2, that voice comes through the individual members of the church, of that gathered group of people in the upper room. This is no longer the thunder that's happening in the clouds. This is no longer one person having to go up to the top of a mountain to understand God. Now God's word is coming out through the church, through his people. And when I say that, I'm not talking about Andrew Gardner, the senior pastor of a church or any other senior pastor. I'm talking about the people of the church. The men and the women in that moment who were gathered there in the upper room became by the spirit of God, the mouthpiece of God to a broken world. And I want you to hear this today. When we pray for a spirit-filled church in 2022, what we're actually praying for is that you would become a mouthpiece for the word of God in your sphere of influence, that you would become someone who is so filled with the spirit of God that you get to share the goodness of God, his law, his freedom, his love, his mercy, all the things that are in God's heart with the people that God has placed around you. What happens in Acts 2 is God basically saying, this is the way the church will be. Not one or two special people with some special voice, but my whole body, infused by my spirit, able to now speak my word out into the world. What an encouragement that is for us. What that means is that church is this community, this body together, at work, believing together that God is at work in us. See, what's happening in Acts chapter 2 is not some sort of gift of the Holy Spirit for a special group of people. It's God saying, this is the way the church will be. And it's almost as if God is basically saying this, open up your mouths, loosen your tongues and speak out the beauty of my gospel for the time is now. So how do we take all of this and apply it to Hong Kong, apply it to the vine, apply it to who we are in this moment? What is Acts 2 saying to us? What should we be praying for? Well, the first thing it says to us is reconciliation. The whole point of Acts chapter 2 is that all of these different nations now gathered in Jerusalem in this moment are able to hear the gospel, hear the reconciling work of Jesus, his death and resurrection, reconciling us through our broken relationship with God, restoring that relationship so we can be in relationship with him again, reconciling us, not just with God, but with one another so that we can love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, but also love our neighbor as ourselves. And you've got to remember that in Acts chapter 2, all of these different nations that were represented, they didn't get on with one another. They had issues with one another. There was hatred and division. There was divorce because that is what happened in Genesis 11. But here is God by his spirit saying, this is what my church is going to be about. If my church stands for anything, it has to stand for this. Reconciliation. Through the love of Christ, through the power of the spirit, my church gets the great privilege of taking the hands of those that are broken, of those that are divided against each other and bringing them back together again. And what a message that is for us here in Hong Kong. Oh, how we need the spirit 
Spirit of God to pour out in this city in this hour, to bring together those that are divided. I mean, think about it. We need the Spirit of God so much to see the Hong Kong Chinese and the mainland Chinese come back together in a place of love and respect. We need the Spirit of God to be at work in our city so that those that are politically divided at this time, so that those families that can't talk to each other anymore, those people that can't be in the same room as that other person, those ones that have been deeply hurt by the actions of another, can find through the love of Christ the ability to be reconciled with the other person. Oh, how we need the Spirit to move upon our city, to move upon the church, so that we can stand against racism in every single one of its forms, so that anyone who is marginalized, who is set aside, who is seen as the other, who is brought down, who is seen as less of a human being than another person. The church could stand up with a loosened tongue in its mouth and stand for justice and stand against the ways in which humanity is still trying to separate people and instead see through the power of God unity and reconciliation come again. What a privilege this is. That's a spirit-filled church, my friends. A spirit-filled church is not defined actually by whether the members of that church are manifesting some sort of gift of the Spirit or not. Acts 2 teaches us this, that a spirit-filled church is a church that defends the poor, that stands for justice, that actually ministers in reconciliation for those that are opposed to one another. That's what a spirit-filled church is. When I pray for the vine to be filled with the Spirit, of course I want the gifts of the Spirit amongst us. And we pray for that here at the vine all the time. But when we're actually praying in line with Acts 2, what we're praying for is the breaking down of dividing walls and a reconciliation to come upon our city like never before. That, my friends, is a spirit-filled church, one that can reach out in love to broken and divided people, and a church that can deal with the broken and divisions within itself as well. This is a word for us as much as it is for us to bring together those divided outside of us. We need to work hard to make sure that there aren't divisions in our own midst, within the walls of the church. There are many things that divide us. And we, if we pray for the Spirit, like in Acts chapter 2, we stand on behalf of unity. This is why I love the fact that right now here in Lent, we're doing the one campaign, the one hearing the word campaign. This campaign has been put together by multiple different churches in the city, Chinese churches, uh, international churches, different backgrounds, denominations, different beliefs even about the spirit and other things like that. These churches have come together to put together a reading plan and a devotional plan in unity together. That's a beautiful picture of what reconciliation and the power of the Spirit can look like upon the church. If you're not doing this, you can go onto your app store, download one, Hearing the Word, HK, uh, get it on your phone, and you can continue to join with many others in the city right now in an act of unity of listening to the Scriptures together so that we might be a unified body offering reconciliation in this hour. The other thing we see here that we can definitely apply to our context and situation is the beauty and the importance of cultural diversity. 
In Acts 2, what we see here is God speaking out. And, and like I say, almost reversing Babel. But another way of thinking about it is not reversing it, because reversing Babel would be like taking everybody's language and bringing us back to one language and one common tongue. Rather than reversing Babel, what God does here is actually he overcomes the curse by bringing his word in multiple languages. In other words, he doesn't get rid of the multiple languages. He doesn't try to push humanity back to one culture, back to one language. No, God's celebrates the beauty of human diversity and variety, and he celebrates it by speaking the gospel in their culture, through their language. That's the beauty. He doesn't try to reduce culture, reduce language, reduce customs. No, he celebrates the diversity by bringing his word in multiple cultures and contexts. This is something that the church has not always gotten right in church history. We just have to look at the crusades and and the power and the way in which uh, the church has colonized many other countries, trying to get those countries to be more like the Western culture, more like a white person's culture, if you will, rather than actually recognizing and honoring the culture of the homeland. What we see here in Acts 2 is God honoring culture diversity, but also bringing the gospel within that culture diversity. See, we are to take the gospel not as not by force, not with the sword, not with violence, not trying to change other cultures to become like the culture of the West. We're to take the gospel, which is the kingdom culture, not some white culture or some Western culture, the kingdom culture, and plant that as a seed in the soil of every culture. And God waters that seed and he brings the conversion and the transformation of people's lives within their unique, beautiful culture. That's what we see here in Acts 2. God's celebrating that diversity and yet speaking his gospel and his hope and his life into it. And we as a church, if we are wanting a spirit-filled Acts moment right now, what we're actually saying is that we will continue to be a church that deconstructs any attempt to try to homogenize people, try to make people all the same, think the same, look the same, act the same, and instead we would stand for the kingdom values that God has for the church. Values that see the beauty and the richness and diversity in cultural, um, cultural experiences, and that is enabled to build a church of multiple culture, but one heart. Listen, multiple culture, one heart. Multiple culture, one story. Multiple cultures, but kingdom values. That's what we see happening in Acts 2. That's what we get called to here. And you know, here at The Vine, I've been so grateful to our asylum seeker and refugee community and how they've brought this diversity amongst us. You know, people often say that The Vine has done so much for that community, but we here at The Vine always say that that community has done way more for us. The fact that they have been amongst us, sharing their language, their backgrounds, their cultures, whether from Africa, from Southeast Asia, from the Middle East, we've been so blessed to be able to worship on a Sunday Sunday, when we gather in person here and see that multicultural environment that we have because of the wonder of our asylum seekers. We must, as a church, continue to promote that diversity. We must be looking to break down divided walls between cultures and backgrounds. And things like what we see when others try to create one culture, when others try to dominate another culture through aggression, what we're seeing right now in Ukraine, we have to stand against that in prayer. Stand against it because we believe that actually there is beauty and the gospel to be found in every language group and every culture. And that's a good, beautiful thing. So 
What does it mean for us to be a spirit-filled church? How do we take Acts 2, apply it to our lives? Well, it means that we want to pray for this reconciliation, both in our own lives, in our own hearts, with those that we are uh, the other towards, but also so that we could model what that reconciliation looks like in Hong Kong in 2022. And it means that we can continue to stand for the beautiful diversity that we see in Hong Kong, that we see in this city, that we can really honor that diversity and see within our churches the model of people from different languages and cultures and backgrounds, yet finding unity through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's the gospel that unifies us. And we come together in that. You see, the unity of the Spirit is not found in monoculture. It's found in the beauty and the celebration of human variety. That's who we are. And we should pray into that, speak into it, and believe it. And when we ask for the Spirit to come upon us, that's what we should expect. A heart to reconcile with the other and a heart to celebrate the beautiful variety that we see within our humanity. I want to pray for that over us right now and speak that word of life into us. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for this passage from Acts 2. So grateful for the way in which you poured out your spirit at the starting point, the birthing point of the church and brought that church into a place where they could understand the importance of reconciliation, that these Galileans could speak the gospel in the languages of all of the world. Galileans who at one point had been distrustful of Gentiles, who had been taught to stay away from them. Now they were beginning to see that God's heart was always to bless every nation, to bring all of those nations under his culture, the kingdom culture. And Father, as we look at Hong Kong in this hour, we want to pray that you would break down our dividing walls. Lord, we recognize that in the last three years, there has been so much that has created division in this city. There is so much still to this day that creates division. Lord, would you break our hearts? Would your spirit move upon your church to be a reconciling body, to be a body of justice, to stand on behalf of the the marginalized, to stand on behalf of the cultures that are being oppressed and be able to bring voice, Lord, to those that need it the most. Lord, would we reconcile those that are opposed to one another? And would it be done not through some some great words or, or through some great theory or strategy, but through your spirit and through your love? And Lord, we pray for that beautiful diversity. We thank you for the incredible cultures that you've created in this world that speak so beautifully of who you are. And Lord, we ask that the gospel now would come to every tribe, every language group. We're thankful that in Revelations, we get that picture of every tribe, every culture, every language bowing before you. Again, not one tribe, not one culture, not one language, beautiful diversity standing before you. Lord, I pray that the vine and that churches in our city would stand on behalf of that diversity today, that we would look at those diverse groups that are perhaps marginalized, maybe the ethnic minorities in our midst, and we would be a church that would reach out towards them and help walking with them in times that are difficult. Lord, that we would honor all cultures, honor all backgrounds, recognizing that your gospel is at work amongst all your people. And that we would do this not for our glory, but for yours. Lord, fill us with your spirit, Lord. We need it now more than ever. If we're going to be a church of evangelism in 2022, may it be reconciliation 
and may it be to all of the beautiful cultures that you've placed around us. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Everyone says, amen. Amen. Let's go into a time of worship as we begin to really sing out for that spirit to come, to break down those dividing walls, to change our lives and our hearts, and to be able to walk out this message, not just hear a message, but actually walk it out in our day-to-day lives. Let's worship now together.